Hello and welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for joining us and enjoy the message. Uh, if you would, pray with me as I pray for the offering. So God, we thank you for all the gifts that have been, been given to the church. Already several have been given online and people are, are giving in the boxes in the back, God. And we just thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless them for their sacrifice, because we know that it is a sacrifice. There's so many other places that we could put our money, but there really isn't anywhere more important than sowing our money into your kingdom, God. So I pray, Lord, that you give us, our leadership team here, wisdom to know how to best uh, use your funds, God, to further your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, we're in a series. Just a reminder, it's in the book of Philippians. If you have your Bible, you can begin to turn there now or your smartphone. Uh, The book of Philippians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, which uh, was in Macedonia, modern-day Greece. And the letter is really cool because it's a letter full of encouragement uh, to a rather new church in that region. And since we're a new church, I I just love going through this book and and receiving the encouragement from it. So our series is called Optimistic Outlook, Encouraging Words to a New Church. And if uh, you were here last week, you remember that Rose taught uh, from chapter one. She taught about finding our purpose. And uh, her two main points were we can find our purpose when we understand that our lives benefit others and that dying actually benefits us. And one of my favorite quotes from her message was from Rick Warren, if you're alive, there's a purpose for your life. And if you missed that uh, message, I encourage you to go online, go to our website, and uh, you can listen to it there. And I think we're actually streaming podcasts on Spotify now. Is that right, Joe? So if you have Spotify, you can find us there as well. But today we're going to continue on in Philippians uh, chapter one. But before we get there, let me share a couple of stories with you. So it was October 24th, 1986. It was my senior year. It was the big rivalry game. No, it wasn't Michigan and Notre Dame. It was Centerville Bulldogs against the Menden Hornets, all right? And I went to Centerville, okay? So it was a big, big football game. We had actually a trophy that went back and forth. It was a set of bullhorns, all right? Get it? Bulldogs and hornets. So we had these bullhorns that would go back and forth for decades. And so this was like the biggest game of the year. We always wanted to win this game. And uh, it came down to the end of the game. Uh, We had the ball. We were down 20 to 17, and it was the last play of the game. I remember, I'll never forget this. I'm in the huddle. All right, and the coach calls a timeout. There's only like five seconds left. We're on like the 35-yard line. It was too far to kick a field goal to tie the game. So we had one play to score a touchdown, you know? And so I remember we're all sitting around or standing around the huddle like this. We're, we're tired, we're bruised, we're beaten, we're sweating. The coach runs out, Coach Kreitz. Gotta love Coach Kreitz. And Coach Kreitz came out and he gets into the huddle and he looks around at us and he goes, all right, guys, what do you think we should call? <laughs> and I remember my heart just dripped, I mean, dropped right there, because I was like, oh, we just, we had one play, you know, and I was expecting the coach to come out with, all right, here's the Philly special or something, you know, some magic trick play that was going to win the game, and unfortunately, he didn't have anything, and 
The guys suggested a couple things. We ended up with a halfback pass from somebody who had never thrown the ball before. Needless to say, we lost that game. So what I, what I want to do is I want to introduce the term wishy-washy. Because I think that's what we had, you know? Coach Christ came out, and instead of giving us a solid response and saying, this is what we're going to do, it's kind of wishy-washy. He didn't have a solid plan for us. So let me give you another example. So I was in college at Western Michigan University, and I was taking uh, a test. I was getting ready for a test. It was a computer networks class. And the teacher was from IBM. He had written like some of the computer networks for IBM. And so he really knew what he was doing. And on the syllabus, there were like 15 different books that he referenced. You know, usually you get like one textbook, maybe two. There's like 15 of them referenced. And so we came into the first test. And uh, I said, hey, what, what are we going to be tested on? I just wanted to know like which, which book or whatever, which chapter. And he looked at me and he said, uh, just wherever, you know, we'll be tested on what we talked about. And I'm like, but which book? Any book that talks about it. Well, I was a wishy-washy answer, right? I mean, I wanted a solid response. It was this book, these chapters, these questions, all of that. I got none of that. I didn't do very well. All right. <laughs> Failed that first test. So did the rest of the class, though. That helped me. All right. Let me give you one more. One more. My friend Josh. Where's Josh? There's Josh over here. Yeah, Josh is my nephew, Josh Brandenberger. And you guys probably didn't know this about Josh. Josh is a really good fisherman. I mean, like he's the kind that they should probably follow him with a TV crew, you know, because he, he goes out bass fishing and actually like wins these tournaments. I mean, he's that good. So the other day, Rose and I were sitting around and, and she's like, man, I just really want a fish fry. I'm like, yeah, I do too. So I texted my friend Josh. He said, Josh, I need to go catch some bass. Where should I go? You know what he said? Oh, I don't know. Maybe you can go somewhere. I didn't give me any answer at all. Just wishy-washy. <laughs> I wanted him to say, this is the lake, this time of year. Use this bait and go to this side off of this dock, whatever. I didn't get it. <laughs> so I think what I'm trying to say is that in life, Nobody really wants a wishy-washy answer. Actually, Scripture says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus was saying, he was saying, make a decision. You know, be concrete and stick to your answer. Because in life, we all want solid direction. But let me get spiritual for a second. Let me propose something. I would say that right now, what the world needs the most from Christians, from those of us that are followers of Christ, is a solid answer, a solid response, not a wishy-washy faith. We as Christians shouldn't change based on what is culturally relevant, right? We shouldn't change based on what is popular, we shouldn't change based on what is politically correct. We shouldn't change based on what is now morally acceptable. And we certainly shouldn't change based on what political person is saying what this year, right? Our response should always be consistent, filled with love, grace, and truth, founded on the word of God, which does not change. The word of God is not wishy-washy.
And I believe that this is what the world needs the most right now. Here are a few more scriptures written by Paul about being solid, about standing firm. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Paul's challenging us to be consistent, be solid. Don't be wishy-washy. Philippians 4.1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Know what you believe and stick to it. No matter what pressures we may face, be consistent. Now, in today's scripture, we get to receive the same challenge. It's in this uh, section of scripture, Paul is referencing his expectations of the Philippians, that they would stand firm, that they wouldn't be wishy-washy. And I think that scripture goes on to give us some hints on how they could do it and how we can apply it to our lives as well. This is in Philippians chapter one. We're going to finish the rest of chapter one, starting with verse 27. And I'll read these verses. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you had, you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So today's title is Immovable Keys to Standing Firm in Our Faith. I'm going to give you a couple of points. And I'll be honest, there were so many things I could have pulled out of this scripture, but I narrowed it down to just a couple um, of how we can stand firm in our faith. But let me pray, and then uh, we'll jump into it. So Father, we come to you right now, and we recognize, Lord, that some of the things you've asked us to do, some of the things that you're requiring in scripture is, is just in the face of what's culturally acceptable anymore. And Lord, the pressures are real. The pressures to, to change what we believe, to adjust, uh, to become more like everybody else around us. But God, you've called us to be different. You've called us to be a city on a hill, to be the light of the world. And we can't do that if we're just singing the same songs as the rest of the world. So God, I pray that we would tonight begin this process of understanding exactly what we believe, understanding exactly what the scripture says is true and making a decision that we're gonna stand firm on it no matter what comes our way, God. And I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, as we read your words tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. All right, so you can fill this in on your handout. We can stand firm in our faith by, number one, recognizing it's a fight. Okay, recognizing there's a fight going on around us. Um, I highlighted just some of these words that kind of stood out to me in that section. It says, stand firm in the one spirit, striving together. These are action verbs. 
without being frightened by those who oppose you. And it goes on to say, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. See, Paul is talking about a battle. He's talking about a fight. He's talking about opposition for his faith. And then if you, if you study Paul's life, he's speaking from experience. You know, Paul had it made. As a young man, he was seen pretty highly as an up-and-comer. You know, he was in the Pharisee sect. He knew his Bible. In fact, he was zealous, so zealous for his religion that he was after these so-called Christians and he was persecuting them. But boy, everybody liked Paul at that time. Everybody did. But then he found Christ. Jesus, actually, Jesus found him, probably. It's a better way of saying that. And then everything changed for Paul. Paul realized from that point on that it was a fight. And if we have any example in the scripture besides Jesus himself of someone who really suffered for the gospel, it's Paul. I'm going to read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And just, just as we read this, just think about the opposition that Paul came across. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. The reason why it was 39 lashes is because they said that 40 would kill a man. And he received that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. What was Paul's crime? He was a Christian. He was a follower of Christ, like many of us here tonight. That was his one and only crime. And he wanted people to know about it. And he wanted other people to come to know Jesus as well. Paul was in a battle. Now, many times we go, well, I haven't been beaten, right? I haven't been shipwrecked. Nobody stoned me recently. So we end up getting lulled to sleep. We really do as Christians. We start feeling like, well, that was back then. There really isn't a battle going on anymore, but let's not deceive ourselves, guys. The same enemy of your soul is active and fighting against you and wants to take you out. Wants to take you out, wants to take your family out, your wife, your husband, your kids. And we need to recognize that there is a battle going on. We may or may not experience it physically, but there is a battle going on for your soul. I've actually had several conversations with uh, several people, several of you who have been coming to the church, who have started to experience, wow, there's a spiritual attack going on here. Right, Joe? Yeah. We've had these conversations where, 
like, man, ever since I decided to come help this church and, and start bringing the love of Christ into Elkhart, things have gotten a little hard. Uh, when Rose spoke her first time, many of you don't know this story, um, but when she was getting ready, she actually slipped and fell and hit her head and uh, had a slight concussion, which that's never happened before. But it was the day of her teaching. In fact, she came in and she says, Clint, you're going to have to pray for me. I said, why is that? I can't read my notes. It doesn't make any sense to me. And so we prayed for her. She was able to um, preach. If you guys didn't hear that message, it's online. It was phenomenal. We call it the concussion message. Um, <laughs> but she wasn't sure she was going to be able to even come in that night. And wasn't able to read a book that night, but the next morning it all cleared up and she was fine. But let's not deceive ourselves into thinking that there isn't a battle going on, guys. There is a battle. So we need to get serious about our faith. All right, if we're going to enter into a battle, we need to get serious about our faith. And, and the very first thing that we can do to prepare for battle is we can confess our unconfessed sin. That's your fill-in. Confess your unconfessed sin. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The image I got of this as I was preparing was somebody putting on like a, a battle armor, you know, over their chest, a chest plate. And, you know, looking good on the outside, ready to go to battle, but actually on the inside was this big festering wound, you know? Just, I mean, this, the image I got was just, how can you go into battle if you got this going on? You know, we, we, we need to be healed, guys. And one of the ways that we can find healing is through confession to one another. We don't have to go find a priest. You don't have to confess to me. Every Sunday night after service, we have a prayer team up here. And man, they are willing to pray with you about anything. So if you have something going on in your life that nobody knows about, or you've been dealing with a sin issue for years and you're just tired of it and you're ready to find freedom, the quickest way to find freedom is to shed light into the darkness. You know, it's not to cover up the wound, it's to expose it. You know, and let, let the healing come. So that's one of the things we can do. If we're going to be in this battle, if we're going to be prepared, we need to confess our unconfessed sins. The second one is to put on the armor of God daily. So we do need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. I'm just going to read this because, man, there's so much power in this scripture. I mean, we could meditate on this one all night. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, 
and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, we wouldn't go into physical battle without that. Yes, John. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Yes. Okay. The slide. Okay. All right. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. We wouldn't go into physical battle dressed in t-shirt and jeans, right? But so many times we are fighting spiritual battles without putting on the armor of God. Now, how do you do that? I don't know exactly how it's done, guys. But this is how it works for me. Every morning I read through that. Every morning I just, I mentally put on the helmet of salvation I take up the shield of faith. And I do that in the mornings before I go out into the world. You know, it's, it's my getting ready for battle each and every day. I've, I have come across people who, brothers and sisters of Christ, who are, I love them dearly, but they are beaten and battered. You know, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, beaten and battered. And I think one of the main things, one main reasons is because they're not taken up they're shield. They're not taking up. They're not putting on the armor of God. You know, we need to do that because guys, we are in a battle. If you're going to do anything good for the Lord, you're going to be, you know, you're going to have opposition against you. Okay. And he wants to lull us to sleep. He wants us to think there isn't a battle going on, but there is, there is. So I pray through each piece of armor daily. Another thing that I do when I'm in a spiritual battle and I don't have time tonight to go through all of this in a lot of detail, but we're going to go through and read these. I pray battle scriptures. All right, battle scriptures. Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. we got to be prayers, guys. You know, you, you, this is not one of those things that is optional as a Christ follower. You say, well, you know, Lyndon's a really good prayer, so I'll let him do all the praying. I'm just going to study the Bible. No, each and every one of us has to take on this responsibility for prayer. On Thursday night, we are doing open prayer uh, time from 7 till 8 o'clock here at the church. And so there were five of us this past uh, Thursday night, and we just spent an hour interceding for all of you, interceding for the service, for the worship team, for our communities. You know, we're just, we're taking it on. You know, we're taking it on. You guys can join us if you'd like, but you don't have to. You can stand up and fight by reading these scriptures yourselves. I'm going to read some of these. I have several of them listed. I'm just going to read a couple of them. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You have the authority to take every thought captive to Christ. Did you know that? Every thought in your mind, you have the authority to take it captive and make it submit to the feet of Christ. Now, trust me, 
Satan is sometimes referenced as the Lord of the flies. You guys have heard of that, Beelzebub? What do flies do? They just bother you, right? I mean, they just nitpick, fly around your head. You you swat them, they come back, they swat them. Sometimes it's like that. When you're having those deceiving thoughts in your mind, you sometimes, you got to take them captive and throw them to the side. But like a fly, it might come back again and you take it captive and throw it again. But you have, as followers of Christ, you have the authority to do that yourself. How do I do that? Like this scripture, when I'm praying against the enemy, because again, we, we pray to God, but we also take a stand against the enemy, is we pray to the enemy and we say, Satan, I take captive every thought and command it to be subject to Jesus Christ because I've been given divine power to demolish every stronghold in my life. And I demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's how I'll use that scripture. You know what Satan does? He quivers. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will what? He didn't, that, that doesn't like give an image in my mind of somebody walking away, does it? I mean, flee. He will flee from you. We have that authority, but we have to recognize we're in a battle. I'm not going to go through the rest of these. That's your homework is to look these up. And if you have a situation in your life where you know that it's the enemy who's coming against you, I want you to pray these this week. Every day, find one of these scriptures that applies to your situation and pray it against the enemy. Because we're in a battle, guys. We are in a battle. I've heard it said that the greatest defense is a great offense. I'm sorry, guys. I'm a sports guy. You're going to get sports analogies all the time. Way too many, I'm sure. But what that analogy means is that score points. Just keep scoring, all right? That's then you don't have to worry about stopping them because you're scoring a bunch of points. The way I use this in um, spiritual battle is I go after the enemy. I don't wait for him to come after me. There's a time when I was woken up consistently at 3 a.m. You know, I just would get woken up at 3 a.m., which is known as like the devil's hour, I guess. I found that out later, 3 a.m. So, Get woken up at 3 a.m. And, and I heard about this and I said, you know what? I'm going to start going after him. So I get woken up. I mean, it's at 3.00. It's exactly 3 o'clock. I get woken up at 3 o'clock. I look over at the clock. I said, that's it. So I started praying for my wife. I started praying for my kids. I started praying for the president. I started praying for the country. Guess what? Nobody's waking me up at 3 a.m. anymore. Amen. You know, they don't want to poke the bear, right? I mean, guys, Satan doesn't want to mess with us if we're on the offense, you know? So go after him. Don't just pray for the situation that's in front of you that you need help and deliverance from. Go beyond it and say, if you're going to mess with me, I'm going to mess with you and I'm going to go after you. I'm going to go after my neighbor. I'm going to go after my brother. I'm going to go after that coworker who's far from God. I'm going to just, I'm going to start praying for him because if you're going to mess with my kids, you're going to mess with my marriage, you're going to mess with my health, I'm going to take you out. Satan will back off because it's costing him way too much when we start fighting. And the way that we fight, guys, is through scripture. It's through scripture. 
All right, that's point number one. We can stand firm in our faith by recognizing it's a fight. The second one, though, is equally as important. We can stand firm in our faith by teaming up. Teaming up. Going back to our scripture in verse 27. I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So striving together is translated from one Greek word, sunathleo. Um, it means to wrestle in company with, to seek jointly, to labor with, to strive together for. We weren't meant to do this alone. Joe, come on up here. I'm going to give you an illustration. Come over here. And so um, I, and I already talked to Joe about this, so... He's not going to be shocked by what I do. Um, so I want you to imagine Joe in the spiritual for a moment. You know, Joe is at this first point, he's unaware that there's even a battle going on. Okay, and I'm going to play the bad guy in this. And, you know, I come around and I see Joe just standing there flat-footed and I can give him a good shove, right? And he's just, and he's taken out, right? For a moment anyway, Right? But then Joe hears this message and he goes, no, I know that there's a battle out there. So he gets a little more, you know, ready for it. So I come in and push him. It's going to take a little bit more, right? But he's got a little bit more <laughs> to push back. Matt, come on up here. Neil, come on up here. I want you guys to stand behind him, all right? Give him some support, all right? Put two hands on his back, all right? So now... Just imagine Joe in the spiritual. He's been fighting a battle, all right? But he's enlisted a couple of brothers to help him. Satan comes along. That's good. That's good. Thanks, guys. You can sit down now. Man, I'm tired now. But, but you guys can see that. But yet, so many times, we are caught flat-footed because we don't even realize there's a battle going on. And then even if we do, we think, man, I can do this all by myself. Right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know many of you. <laughs> I know you like fighting this by yourself. We can't do this alone. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That's when he had Adam and then he made Eve. He knew. We couldn't do it alone. Matthew 18 says, again, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. God created these rules of the spiritual universe that we should be together. And there is power when we join together. Ecclesiastes chapter four says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. 
But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So if you're doing this life alone right now, you need to stop it. Just need to stop it. You need to let someone in. One of the beauties of Lighthouse Vineyard Church is that we're all new, <laughs> you know? We all have our, our spiritual baggage. We all have our past hurts. But we all have an opportunity to start over. But I don't want you guys to start over by yourselves. We're here. We're supposed to be the family, you know? And like Joe up here, he can fight a good fight. But boy, how much easier is it when you get two brothers or two sisters behind you helping, right? You can write this down. And Crystal, you can come on up here. We may feel like we are better alone. The truth is we are better together. And I understand that, guys. I've been hurt before. People have let me down. You know, I've been in those situations where, you know, it feels like I'm just going to go at this one alone. Um, but I can guarantee you, we are always better together. Always better together. So I asked Krista to do a new song for us. It was one I, I heard recently. And it just talks about standing firm in our faith, you know, being solid Christians. So we're going to sing this song. If you guys would stand, I'll pray. And then Matt will... Uh, will end us up in, in ministry time. But let me pray. So God, we thank you for your word that is true in our lives. We thank you for what you've spoken to us. We thank you for what you're doing with this body, God. Continue to unite us together. And Lord, we recognize that what the world needs are Christians that know what we know, that know what we believe, that stand firm on the solid foundation of your word. And we will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.